Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just wildly speculating, I'm not going to lie. Well, but sure, that's, I mean, what, that's what we're here to do, right? Have another beer and speculate some more. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. The Lions of Liberty podcast presents the best quotes of 2014. Bob Murphy. People have their private property, and if you don't like something, you don't just get to take people's property or force them to do things they don't want to do. You have to convince them to do it voluntarily. If not enough people believe that, well, then, yeah, free society is going to fall apart. And so how do you get there is you convince enough people, more and more people, to want to live in a free society. And up, you know, right now, yeah, it seems like it's a, a pipe dream and it's more of a hypothetical thing, but ultimately that's what it would take to get there. That's what would make it politically feasible or make it practical, is if enough people agreed, that would be preferable to the current world. And then it would just sort of happen almost spontaneously if enough people believe that. R.J. Brewer. When it comes to immigration, especially when I'm going out there and, you know, I have the microphone in front of thousands of Latinos, I'm almost blaming, I'm blaming them for the immigration problem in this country. And I don't think a lot of the blame should go on them. The blame should go on the government. Because what would you do if you live in a country where people are getting beheaded and, you, you know, you don't have the right to bear arms and there's not much money there and, and there's so much poverty and the cops are corrupt, you know, the cartels running stuff and killing people? Wouldn't you flee to? I probably would also. So you can't really blame those people for doing it. You have to blame the government, I think, for making it so easy to become illegal and so hard to be legal. Robert Wenzel. And Rand is very similar to Ronald Reagan. Rand talks a lot of libertarian stuff, but not completely. And Ronald Reagan was the same way. But government really grew under Ronald Reagan. And Murray Rothbard nails a lot of that. And it shows how dangerous it is. You know, unless the masses really change their views, it really doesn't matter who's elected president. They're going to be interventionists. They're going to be expanding the state and all that because they want to retain power. In order to retain that power, they have to sort of move with the way the public sees things. And right now the problem is the public is not libertarian. And the most important thing is the public to understand what libertarianism is and why it's a good thing. And Rand is not doing that. We're doing that. You and I, Mark. Timothy Terrell. I think that ethical questions have been one of those areas where economists have been relatively weak. Not because we don't have the tools to deal with those things, those ethical issues, but we have been reluctant to tackle them because we have to step outside of our discipline and start addressing normative questions. But I think it's important that we do that because that has been one of the primary criticisms of economics as a discipline. Fred Foldbury. The ethic for a uh, free society or private communities is basically natural moral law, or what I call the universal ethic. So that's one of my books, The Soul of Liberty. I derive a universal ethic, the same ethic that John Locke talked about in his second treatise, although he didn't really uh, fully derive it. And that ethic basically tells us that what's morally evil is coercive harm to others. So acts that benefit others, that are welcome benefits are morally good, acts that coercively harm others, such as theft or murder or trespass or kidnapping, those are evil. Jan Halfeld. What really commits people 
in my view, is to make that connection between defending the individual rights of other people and their own self-interest. Why that's in their self-interest. That's the thing. And a lot of people don't see it, and I, but I see it clear as day. I see the ball rolling. I say, sooner or later, I'm going to be the victim of this uh, monster that, you know, is uh, violating these people's rights and these people in this area and that area for in so many ways. So that's why I put up a fight. Sure. I mean, if you support a system that violates the rights of other individuals, well, guess what? You're an individual, too. So at some point, that system is going to violate you. Dale Carson. You know there are certain areas you just shouldn't go to, right? And there are certain areas that you shouldn't go to at certain times. And if you just keep that in mind, then you don't become a target for law enforcement encounters. And if you don't encounter them, I call them the portal to the electronic plantation. If you don't encounter them, you're not going to get sucked up into the system. G. Edward Griffin. I'm not so sure that we could rely on the media to tell the truth. And so we could look for one heck of a battle, all kinds of stresses and strains on the economy and on public confidence of the banking system, public confidence of the the political system. It could be almost revolutionary. In other words, rough water ahead. Out of all of that, we have to know that it can be done. And in my view, it must be done. Because in my view, if we do not abolish the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve will abolish America. Shane Whistler. To be an idealist or to believe, you know, which means believe that there's a, such a thing as a right and a wrong. It's a kind of a creative leap. It's a change of perspective. And um, people have a hard time imagining, you know, outside of the context that they were, you know, raised and born in and, and all the media, you know, and, and it requires being kind of a visionary and, and thinking, well, how should it be? And imagining all the different ways it should be. And then you try to move it to where it should be. And I think a lot of people just lack the ability to see that. So, so they, they mix the two issues together. They mix the way things are, you know, with the way it should be. And they can't see, they don't see either one of them very clearly. My dad, Alan Clare. I think that we have been really gifted, uh, privileged, your mother and I, to have some really talented children. Each of you has a unique skill, and from the time you were probably five years old, you had an interviewing and a questioning skill, which not only enabled you to ask intelligent questions and analyze the answers, but I've always thought that you had x-ray vision, in effect, (laughs) in that if if you felt someone was not telling you the truth, you would ask second and third level questions and you'd keep on going and you wouldn't stop till you were pretty sure that you had truthful answers, honest answers. So uh, I've never seen anyone else or met anyone else who, uh, who had that skill. And I think, uh, you know, you've, you've, got, uh, you've got piles of that. Adam Kokesh. I'd like to think it's the natural state of a child's mind to be assimilating information, asking why. And, you know, we, we have to revive that. And I, I think I, I don't know if we're reviving that or if we're just evolving and getting more of that. But one way or another, part of the paradigm shift, you know, that I talk about in the book, part of the paradigm shift that humanity is experiencing right now is to at least have a, a reawakening of that or, or a newfound respect for that, for that kind of uh, just 
open inquisition and seeking of understanding rather than arbitrary acceptance of the world. Sure, because, I mean, none of us are born with full knowledge, with full truth. We can only find it by being inquisitive. And, you know, when you, when you pop out of the womb and you don't know what's going on, you're naturally going to be literally crawling on the floor, <laughs> searching for answers, trying mm-hmm. to figure things mm-hmm. out. It's only when people or institutions in our society start saying, stop asking, just do it. You know, that's and at some point in our lives that seems to happen to so many of us. I know it happened to me at some point, because at some point I was just that kind of straightforward Republican guy, but... Thankfully, something snapped me out of it, and you know now I have this podcast, and we're talking about all this crazy stuff. Tisha Cassida. I love things that bring solutions and that are embedded in peace versus this, we've got to get them, we've got to fight, we've got to fight back. We've got to, I think that although you know I get it and I agree with it, I think it often doesn't win people to the liberty movement. What wins people to the liberty movement is being kind and talking and listening to each other about these issues. And of course, the libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. Boy, did he ever pull uh, the old switcheroo. Yeah, it was just like Obama. Shocker. Just like Obama. No, just, just like they all do. That's what Rand Paul's doing, too, right? He's, yeah. he's trying to pull the switcheroo. We don't need to spend another <laughs> hour wait. talking about that. I can't wait for the Rand Paul switcheroo. Yeah, he's, he's uh, just like he's taking Which, by the, the way, I've turned into a sexual maneuver. Maybe they think that they see the United States as just like a 15-year-old bad boy rebel. So they're telling them what they don't want them to do, but it's really what they want them to do. You know, it's like well, a, a reverse psychology. Thing. <laughs> well, in a way, look at it this way. The, you know, the U.S. is using ISIS as a reason to, you know, this is why we have to keep doing the things we're doing. This is why we have to stay in power. You need us. Maybe ISIS is looking at the same way. If they don't have somebody to fight against, i.e. the United States, then they lose their recruiting base, they lose their power, and they lose their hold of the country as it becomes less conservative. So, eh. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they need us just like we need them. <laughs> I give Brian, I award Brian one point for that answer. All right. So, Trent, have you? I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Have you uh, checked out Harry Brown's book, How to Live Free in an Unfree World? Are you familiar with that at all? No, not at all. Cool. We'll just cut that whole question out. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't. I don't take a lot of things at face value. So, I started researching them on my own and making sure that you weren't blowing smoke up my ass. But you know, he. Impressed the the living hell out of me. I know the smoke was something else. Uh, we don't need to. We don't need to talk about. It. Hey, the war on drugs is still going on, buddy. Let me be your whiskey shot to quickly ease your pain. Live long and live free. <laughs>